Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who die to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been, been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. What is real life? And I mean... The kind of life that, that, that we're always longing for and we feel like, yeah, maybe it's out there somewhere, but we're not even really sure what it is, but we feel like we've always been longing for it. Um, and, and somehow we wonder if there's a way to, to actually grab hold of it, but we never really have. Maybe that kind of life doesn't even really exist. But if it did, how would you go about finding it? Samuel Taylor Coleridge was one of the most famous poets who ever lived. You may not have heard of him. Uh, here's a picture of him when he was 23 years old, very young, fresh-faced young fellow. Um, just a few years after this portrait was painted, um, when he was 26 years old, now this would have been 1798, he and a buddy of his named William Wordsworth, you may have heard of him, they wrote a book of poetry together called Lyrical Ballads. That book launched... Uh, what's known as the English Romantic Movement. Now, that may not mean much to you, but it's kind of like when the first rappers launched the hip-hop movement in um, New York City. 20-something years old, totally unknown, but then boom. 
Or like when Kurt Cobain and other Seattle rock groups launched um, the grunge movement in the 90s. Again, 20-something years old, completely unknown, but both of these were major artistic cultural explosions. It's kind of the same with Coleridge. In fact, Coleridge is a lot more like someone like Kurt Cobain than we may at first um, imagine because for many years, Coleridge was an opium addict. He, he, he was addicted to opium for many years. So here we are, this picture of him, young and fresh-faced, 23 years old. Here's a picture of him just nine years later. You can see the hollowed-out cheeks and the lines and the shadows in his face. It's really scary what addiction can do to somebody in just a handful of years. But unlike Kurt Cobain, um, Coleridge survived. He, he ended up getting clean. And then later in life, he, he became a very devoted Christian. Before he died, he wrote a poem for his own tombstone. Um, and in this poem, he's basically reflecting on his whole life, but it's also an invitation to others like you and me to stop at his graveside and reflect on how you find real life. It, the, in the poem, he, he, he asks people, any passers-by, to stop and say a prayer for him. He refers to himself by his initials, say a prayer for STC, who, um, that he who many a year with toil of breath found death in life may here find life in death. That he who many a year with toil of breath found death in life. He's talking about addiction. He says, may here find life and death, that he's saying that in this grave, in this tomb, I'm finding real life. In other words, his life as an addict was a living death, but now that he's dead, he's finding real life. What does that mean? What if real life, what if the life we're always longing for, but never really finding, what if that life is available to you, but only if you experience a kind of death? That sounds counterintuitive, but that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage that we just read. We're in a series on Romans chapters 5 through 8. It's all about finding new life in Christ. And in this passage, Paul is saying this life we long for is available to us, but only if we experience a kind of death. What does that mean? Let's find out by seeing three things Paul shows us In this passage, he shows us an old self, a good death, and a new life. Okay? An old self, a good death, and a new life. All right? First, Paul shows us an old self. Now, let's just do like a 90-second recap the book of Romans up to this point. In the first four chapters, Paul takes the traditional religious approach to life, and he turns it on its head. Traditional religion says, if you live a good life, God will love you. In other words, it's, it's all about like God's love is completely dependent on your moral and religious performance. But the gospel takes that story and stands it on its head. It says, your, God's love to you doesn't depend on your moral or religious performance. You don't perform your way into God. He gives you his love as a gift of grace through faith in Christ and his performance on the cross. And then Paul sums all of this up at the end of chapter 5 by saying, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, the more human beings sin in this world, the more God's grace, the more he just loves to pour out his grace in this world. 
Which leads to the question that Paul begins this passage with. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, hey, if the more people sin, the more God just loves to pour out his grace in this world, then by that logic, well, we should sin more because that would result in more grace in the world. And that's a good thing, right? Or we could paraphrase the question like this. Why not live however you want? If, if God is going to love you and forgive you no matter what you do, then why not? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. Why not just live however you want? This is an important question, um, especially because at this church, we're, this is a Protestant church, and, and um, historically, Protestants have made a really big deal about this idea that we're saved by grace, not by works. That it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that's true, but as a result, a lot of times that's resulted in like this allergy we have to trying to actually live a changed life. Because we wouldn't want to be guilty of trying to perform our way into salvation. But does that mean that we should just live however we want? Well, Paul gives us a, his you know, pretty unequivocal answer. He says, by no means. Perish the thought, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Basically, he's saying, hey, if you think that, that, um, that grace means you could just live however you want, then you haven't really experienced grace. And then he spends the rest of this passage explaining what this means. Now, Listen, Paul is talking to Christians here, so we're, I'm talking to Christians, but, but if you're exploring faith or if you're considering the claims of Christianity, this is also an invitation to you to listen in, to learn a little bit more about what Christianity is all about and what it means to live a Christian life. Paul is talking to Christians here, and he wants to remind Christians of something they're supposed to know. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. Now, this is a typically Paul statement. It's a mouthful. There's all kinds of language like, what is the false self? What is the body of sin? What does all of this mean? Well, let's get into a little bit by, um, by doing this. Maybe one of the most helpful ways of thinking about this is like this. You remember if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about stories and scripts. It, like a movie has a script that says, here's what each character says, here's what each character does. A script tells you how to act. But every script presupposes a certain kind of story. So for instance, if it's a romantic comedy, then people act a certain way because that's a certain kind of story. But if it's like a dark superhero movie, like Batman, then people act very differently in stories like that. So if you were to take a character like the Joker, like, you know, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, and just plop that character down into a romantic comedy like, I don't know, When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Hitch. You know, I'm still dating myself. Uh, crazy Rich Asians, you know? If you put Heath Ledger as the Joker in any one of those movies, that doesn't make sense because people don't act that way in stories like that, right? Every single one of us has a script that we live our lives by, but every script presupposes a certain kind 
of story. Now, here's why this is so important. Um, you know, um, there are basically two big kinds of stories that we could live in in this world. When, when Paul talks about the old self, he's talking about, um, he's re- actually that word literally means the old man or even more literally the old humanity. He's basically referring back to the story of Adam and Eve, the very first humans in the garden. And he's, he's reminding, um, reminding us of the story that happened there, that, that Satan, the serpent, came to the first humans in the garden and he basically told them a false story about God. He said, God, you can't trust God. God. God's trying to keep you down. And if you really want to be happy, if you really want to have real life, then you're going to have to reach out and grab hold of it for yourself. That is a false story that says you can't trust God. Now, here's the point. At the end of the day, there are really only two big basic stories that we can find ourselves in. Either the story that says you can trust God or a story that says you cannot trust God. And by the way, both atheism and agnosticism would be included in this you cannot trust God story because if you don't believe in God or um, if you're not sure if there's a God, how can you trust God, okay? Those are the two big basic stories that we can find ourselves in. Now, does this make sense so far? Are you guys okay? I know I'm asking you to expend some brain calories here, but are we okay so far? All right. Here's the question. If these are the two big basic stories that we can find ourselves in, what kind of scripts come out of these stories? If the story you're in says you can trust God, then that script would look like surrender. I mean, you could trust, you can put your life and your happiness in God's hands because you trust Him. But if the story you're in says you cannot trust God, that script looks like control. You have to take control of your life and your happiness. And because the world and other people have this really annoying tendency to not cooperate with all of our wonderful plans for their lives, how dare they? That means that our inevitable lack of control leads to things like fear, anger, anxiety, depression, self-righteousness, self-pity, resentment, bitterness, avoidance, envy, denial, a passive aggression, rage, and all kinds of other dysfunctions and breakdowns in our lives, in relationships, and in the whole world around us. That, that's the result of all of these things in our lives. The wounds of, of living in this broken world produce all these kinds of things. You, you, you see what's happening here. We're living in a false story, but the story is also living in us. It's living through us. The, the false story is living through us as a script. It, it's living through us in our embodied lives and actions in this world. That's what Paul means when he talks about the body of sin. The body of sin is, is the way the false story that says you cannot trust God, that's the way this, this false story lives through us as a script, through our embodied lives and actions in this world. The old self is the old story. It's the false self, this false story that says you cannot trust God. The body of sin is the way that false story expresses itself through your life. You see, not only are we living in the story, the story is living in us. The old self is is our false identity, the false story 
And the body of sin is the way that story lives in us, expressing itself through our lives and our actions in this world. Not only are we in the story, the story is in us, and that leads to our next point. We've just seen that Paul shows us uh, an old self, but secondly, Paul shows us a good death. Now, here's what this means. If, if our biggest problem is that we're in a false story and that false story is in us, then how do we get out of that story and how do we get the story out of us? Well, the is pretty simple. We need to get into a new story and we need that story to get into us. And that's exactly what Paul says next. He says, for if we've been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, this word united is an amazing word. It's actually a gardening word, and it literally means to be planted in something. What Paul is saying is that when you become a Christian, your story gets planted in a whole new story, that Jesus' story becomes your story, so that when he was crucified on the cross, in, in some mysterious way, you were really crucified with him. And that when Jesus was buried in the tomb, that you were buried with him in the tomb. You died. And that's why Paul says that we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That we went into the tomb with Jesus. We died. So that, that, that we died to the old self. We died to the old story with Jesus in the tomb. But in order for that to happen... Uh, that means we have to keep dying to it. Not only did, did our old story die with Jesus, but we have to die to that story. So if you're exploring faith, that means that becoming a Christian means dying to the old self, dying to the old story. But even if you've been a Christian for decades, it means we have to keep dying to it every day because that old self and that old story keeps coming back. Kind of like a zombie movie. You know, like the living dead keep trying to drag you back into the land of the dead. We died to the old self and the old story once in the past. We have to keep dying to it again every day. It's like a zombie. It keeps the living death keeps coming back and trying to drag us in to, into the land of the dead. In fact, in many ways, maybe the best way of thinking about this um, probably is addiction. You know, uh, many of you do know, um, I'm not shy about sharing the reality that I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, but it's tricky, I find, um, sharing this story with others. One of the things I found over the years is that whenever I share this with people, people have a tendency because, you know, the extreme forms of addiction like drugs and alcohol are so extreme that people have a tendency to look at that and say, well, I never struggled with anything like that, and therefore I'm not an addict. Listen, addiction doesn't have to be only to a substance like drugs or alcohol. And it doesn't even have to be to a behavior like gambling or using porn or, you know, these screens that fill our lives. The ultimate addiction really is addiction to, to the old self, addiction to the false self, living in a false story that says you can't trust God and therefore we have to take control of our lives and our happiness and our well-being the ultimate addiction is addiction to self, and that is an addiction that every single one of us struggles with because you have a story. And because we live in a broken, fallen world, every single one of you has taken wounds, you have taken hurts, 
And those wounds and those hurts have resulted in a false story in your life that tells you who you are and who God is. Every single one of us. And most of the time, we're not even consciously aware of all the ways that, that those wounds and those hurts have actually shaped us and of the stories that they've created in our lives. I mean, you might be aware of the painful things that happened to you when you were 5 or 11 or 18 or 38 or whatever, and maybe even aware that those things had some kind of painful, harmful effects in your life. But most of us are not consciously, daily aware of just how deeply those things have shaped us and formed us and the kinds of stories, false stories, that they've created in our lives about who we are and about who God is. We're not, we're not consciously aware of those things, but those stories, those, um, those wounds have created stories in our heart, stories that say, well, this is who I am, and this is, this is my role in the world, and, and this is where the addiction part comes in, and this is what I need to do to eke out some measure of happiness, love, approval, acceptance, belonging, and worth in this world. The wounds we've taken living in this broken world have created stories, false stories in us that, that, that say, this is who I am. This is who God is. And as a result, we learn all kinds of destructive, dehumanizing ways of responding to that story as a way of protecting ourselves. Do you know what that is? That's a script. And here's the scary thing. Those scripts really work for us at least at first. And, and, and even though we end up hurting others and hurting ourselves as a result of these scripts, we, we can't let go of them because if we let go of those scripts, well, then who am I? And even more importantly, how am I going to get my needs met? Friends, listen, if you keep going back to something that stopped working a long time ago, but you keep going back to it because you keep thinking, well, maybe I can get it to work again, like it did the first time. Don't you realize that is the textbook definition of addiction? You know, when I was physically addicted to drugs, I had various instruments out of which I inhaled various substances. Okay, I'm trying not to be too graphic, but you get the picture. I was, I was trying to suck life out of the drugs, but the more I tried to suck life out of them, the more they were sucking life out of me. That he who many a year with toil of breath found death in life. It was a living death. Friends, don't you realize that, that each and every single one of us struggles with an addiction to a false self that's living out a false script because we're living in a false story that says you can't trust God. And the more we try to suck life out of that story, the more it's sucking life out of us. We're in a living death, every single one of us. But Jesus Christ is the living God, the creator of the universe, who descended into the living death of this world. Jesus is the one who entered into the broken, messed up story of this world in order that he could rescue us out of this story. But the way that he did it was not by erasing the story or replacing the story, but by redeeming the story. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ conquered death by letting death do its worst to him. Jesus took everything death could throw at him. Death spent itself on Jesus. Death emptied all of its firepower on Jesus. But in emptying its firepower on Jesus, it emptied itself. In spending itself on Jesus, it broke itself. 
Jesus died to death. Jesus died to sin. It's over. It's done. It has no more dominion over him. That's why Paul says that death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died to death. When you're dead, death can't do anything more to you. It's done. No more dominion. He died to death. He died to sin. It's over. It's done. No more dominion. Friends, when you died in Jesus, you died with him, you died to sin. It's over. No more dominion. When you put your faith in Jesus, that means that all of the the broken wounds and all of the hurts, all of the things that have happened to you, it means that all of the false stories that we believe about ourselves and God, and it means all of the ways that we're addicted to those false stories and all of the ways they, they create destructive, dehumanizing effects in our lives and in the world around us, it means that all of that was crucified with Jesus. All of that went into the tomb with Jesus. It's over. It's done. No more dominion. That when that you died to it because Jesus died to it. That the way to life is death, but it's a good death because it's through that death that you finally come alive to the real life that Jesus has intended for you. And that leads to our last point. We've seen an old self. We've seen this good death. But lastly, we need to look at a new life. Because here's the thing. Um, Paul is saying that when when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get planted in a new story. Jesus' story becomes your story. And so Paul's whole purpose in this passage is to wake you up to this if you're not a Christian and, and, and to wake you back up to it if you are a Christian. Because remember the passage, the question he began with, hey, if we're saved by grace, why not live however we want? And we saw his answer. He says, hey, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And now that we've gone through this sermon, we can say basically what Paul is saying is, how can you keep living the old script when you've been given a new story? The whole reason that Jesus died on the cross was so that you could live a new story, so you could live a new life, so you could have a new script I mean, basically, the key verse in this whole passage is verse 4. Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in what? Newness of life. It's all about newness of life. That And the way to that life is through death, death to the old self, death to the old story, death to the old script. The way to that life is through death. That's why why Paul says that, that through baptism, we were buried with Jesus in the tomb. It's through death. I mean, at the end of the day, here's what all of this comes down to. The the big takeaway this morning, if you walk away with one thing, I I hope that you walk away with this, that when Jesus' story becomes your story, you go from a living death to a dying life. The Christian life is all about going from a living death to a dying life. Now, what does that look like in practice? What does it mean to live a dying life? Well, That's what the rest of Romans 5 through 8 is about. And we're going to look at that in depth. But let me just offer a couple of thoughts that Paul shows us here in this passage. A couple of ways that we can begin 
practicing this dying life today. First, notice that Paul says at the very end, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that word consider is, it's an accounting word. It means to, you know, add up um, some figures. So kind of like when you go to the restaurant and you're adding up that I believe in God. Or maybe it's an agnostic To, to try this out. A daily surrender, and here's what this means. Notice at the very end, Paul says that we should present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to our physical bodies, but everything about our embodied mode of existence in this world. So that means our eyes, our ears, our tongue, our hands, our feet, our mind, our imagination, our hearts, our passions, um, all of that, that, that we present that daily to God, and we offer it to God. So it's a daily surrendering of everything that we are to God. Because remember, if the story you're in says you can trust God, then, then everything we are, we present ourselves to Him daily. That's, that's part of our daily action. That, that means we're dying to the old self. We're His dying to death. And so, Every day we surrender ourselves to God. We, we die to the old story, to the old script, and to the old self. You know, I learned recently that, um, that the very first artists to use skull imagery, it's not something that emerged in like goth culture, or even with pirates putting the skull and crossbones on the flags of the pirate ships. The very first artists who ever used skull imagery were monks. And if you ever see an old picture, like from the maybe a candle, but also a skull, and not like a fake skull, but like a real skull of like Brother Francis, who died seven years ago. And, and, and they don't do that in a morbid way, but it's a way of keeping their mortality in front of them, a way of reminding themselves that, that we are those who've been brought from death to life, and that every day we are called to live a daily discipleship to Jesus that's a daily dying to death, that every day, and today is the only day we get, because we may not be here tomorrow. Every day is a day to practice this, this daily dying to death because we've been brought from a living death to a dying life. That we surrender, we present ourselves to God. And we die to the old self, we die to the old story, we die to the old script, and that we live our lives fully alive to God because we are those who have been brought from living death to a dying life. Have you experienced this, this, this death that leads to life? And if you're exploring faith, are you interested in finding the life that's truly living? It only comes by dying to sin in Jesus so that you can live to God through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We praise you, Lord. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's, it's incredible to think about. But the way to true life is by dying to death, Lord. We praise you, Jesus, that you came to this earth and died to death and triumphed over it by rising from the grave. And we pray this morning, Lord, that as we, um, as we live our lives in this world, that you would help us, those of us who follow you, to um, bring the scripts of our lives more fully in line with the stories that we're living in. And Father, I pray for, for those here this morning who may be exploring faith, maybe considering the claims of Christianity, that, that you would help um, all of us to read and see, does the script we live really match the story we say we believe in? Lord, I pray that you would help us 
every single one of us more fully to enter into the one and only true story of the world, that this is a world that was created good by you, that we can trust you, that this world has fallen into death through our rebellion, through our addiction to self, but that you are redeeming this story by redeeming us out of death and into life. Lord, help us to make that transfer daily from a living death to a dying life. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.